0: What you need to do is build skills and competencies to be successful, both socially, as well as professionally, right? And, and, and I think if I were to have done that, I would have been way more curious, and I would have been much more focused on retaining information and experiencing things. And when I learned something, trying to put it into practice.
1: Welcome to Beyond High Street. My name is Jenny Derrick, and I'm the Dean of the Farmer School of Business here at Miami University on a wet day in Oxford, Ohio. Today, I'm joined by Mark Rappaport, who graduated with a Bachelor of Science with a double major in Organizational Leadership and Business Management back in 2004. So hi, Mark, and welcome. Thank you for agreeing to do this podcast, Beyond High Street.
0: Hi, Jenny. Nice to see you again. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you. So during this podcast, as our listeners know, we'll weave through a range of topics so our listeners can get to know you, your background, your journey, and some of your reflections along the way. And of course we'll end with your advice to students who might be listening to this podcast. So I want to begin with the most important set of questions. In fact, the most important question, why did you choose the Farmer School of Business?
0: Um, yeah, clearly the most important question. I, uh... I was really fortunate. I went to, to high school in the metro Detroit area. And I had some really close friends who I played sports with growing up that were a year older. I think there were actually four or five of them that, that chose Miami for various reasons. And so, you know, growing up in the Detroit area, I always thought I'd go to Michigan or Michigan State like everybody else. And uh, when I would go and visit them my senior year of high school, like everybody, you spend five minutes on campus. And you can really feel the magic. Um, And it made the decision really, really easy for me. And then I I think the other factor was not only was it a special place, but it was a good mix for me. Um, I grew up in Detroit, raised by a single mom. Um, My brother has some mental disease that requires um, quite a bit of assistance from my mom and I. And so growing up, we didn't go on a lot of vacations or the rest. I had a great childhood. Don't get me wrong. My family's amazing. But Oxford was also sort of the perfect distance where it felt like I was experiencing something new, which I clearly needed at that time, but also close enough to home where when I needed to spend time with my mom and brother who are amazing, uh, it was really easy to do so. So it was just perfect for me.
1: I love it. So, so, by, tell me about your current journey. So, you're currently the chief operating officer and EVP at Red Bull, and you're in charge of a three billion gross profit contribution to the organisation, which is is quite quite <laughs> magnificent. <really. laughs> it's a big number. <laughs> so, but but you started your career back in Altria, which, if the listeners aren't familiar with it, it, it was formerly Philip Morris, so marketing cigarettes. So, I'm really keen to know what drew you to that industry originally, and also what did you learn about Sales and marketing, being in that industry, that you could take into other roles that you've had.
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think a common thread throughout my journey is is quite a bit of luck. Um, I think anyone who ends up successful, it's it's half luck and being prepared to capitalize on the luck. And you know, when I joined Altria, they recruited me out of Miami. They had a really good infrastructure there on campus to recruit not sure how much they're doing of that now Um, and I went in for all the I wouldn't say the wrong reasons but but maybe not the ideal reasons Um, I I just the financial package was really good in comparison to the other offers that I had and um, coming from the background that I did finding financial independence at an early age was really important to me but it was a really fortunate Decision because um, it, it's a company that has a hundred years of success. Um, we can certainly have debate over the industry in which they're in. I certainly do now that I'm older and more mature and and have kids of my own. But um, the truth is, with a hundred years worth of business success, they have an incredible amount of training and development infrastructure. And so, I, I just got put into this system that developed commercial leaders at a really young age. I mean, they identified me very early on as someone who had potential and they invested a lot in me, right? They let me experience managing and leading people, I think, two years out of college. They let me follow my passions and work in different departments. So I I have a passion for analytics and they let me go do a rotation in, doing analytics for both brand marketing as well as uh, for the sales revenue generation side of the business. Then they let me go become a general manager. They let me sort of def- like lay out my career skill development uh, goals and they just fed them left and right. And so um, it, it was just an ideal place to, to start a career uh, for someone who was smart. Otherwise I wouldn't have ended up in Miami and done well. But but didn't really know how to piece that together. So, you know, I I think most of my learnings from Altria were less about like the business model itself, um, though impressive, and and more about just obtaining the skills I needed and the foundation that would sort of launch the rest of my career. I mean, there's a zero percent chance I'd be where I am today without without their ability to to build and develop my skills.
1: So it, it's a really interesting industry, as you say. And then you moved on to e-cigarettes. And I think if I'm right in saying you're with, perhaps one of the first e-cigarette companies in the States. Is that right? And, and talk to yeah. us about the role you had there and what drew you to that from, from Altria.
0: Yeah. You know, after being at Altria for a long time, um, I think one thing I've, I've learned about myself is like, I'm just motivated by Hills to run up. Like I'm a, I really like to learn and experience different things. Like I don't watch TV. It's not healthy, by the way. Uh, I listen to podcasts. I read books. I do all these very nerdy things. I still start every morning reading a physical newspaper. I'm like a grandpa trapped in a 40 year old body. Um, and you know, as I went through Altria for for the first phase of my career, um, there was a ton of reasons to stay: stock options, uh, a defined career path, all these things. At the time, I was working in San Francisco for Altria, and I was wrapping up my MBA, and I was surrounded by people whom were doing really unique and meaningful things where they weren't just sort of owned one little piece of a business process or real one small piece of the business. They were making like true one door decisions that would determine the success or not success of the company. I felt like I was at a stage in my life where I could do that. Like I I had already made more money than I thought I would ever make, maybe my bar was too low, but, but, uh, and I just got curious. Um, and so I took a chance. There was, um, a gentleman who was a patent attorney who had the, um, what we thought was the first patent for an electronic cigarette. He, he was really motivated by all the right things that a lot of the cessation device is for tobacco, the patches, the, the things like that. Um, have a very low success rate. And he thought there was a way to help people move off of combustible cigarettes and and do that. And and by this age, you know, my moral compass was also forming, right? Um, My motivations weren't merely money. Um, And so uh, me and a group of folks left Altria and, and helped this gentleman commercialize the business. And it was super exciting. I mean, I learned and no knock on Altria, but I learned more about myself in five years, or th- excuse me, three years there than I did in my entire career at Altria. Um, we built a business from nothing to 150,000 outlets in an e-commerce business in 18 months. I think I slept maybe 10 minutes. We were involved on the private equity side. We were raising capital. I think at our, our peak, we had a billion-dollar valuation from Bain Capital. But then six months after I left, maybe a year after I left, we went bankrupt. And so I think a lot of people would look back on that experience and, and deem it a failure. And don't get me wrong. We clearly made mistakes. Um, but I don't look at it as a failure at all. I mean, I learned and developed so much and, and I would, I'd do anything to go back and have a second shot at it because the things I didn't know, I just didn't know yet. And, and I had to experience them. And so, um, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience for me and um, something that I'm very prideful of.
1: And then opportunity came knock- knocking for you to join Red Bull. So talk to me about the career path you've had there because you, you've done some incredible things in the journey through Red Bull and you know, moving through sales and marketing and now to the role you have. So, so tell us about this, that part of the journey.
0: Yeah, I, I, um, I was very fortunate. You know, I, I, there was a... When I left... Um, the e-cigarette business, I was actually going to start my own business. Um, I had actually began doing it in Arizona, um, where my wife and I were living at the time. And I think kind of two things drew me to Red Bull. Um, one was that my wife who is an amazing woman and is always, always has the right answers at the right times for me, career wise, as well as personal wise. Uh, you know we were we had just got pregnant with our first, and I think we realized that so, some stability would be good in our life. Um, when, when you're doing the private equity startup thing, it's an amazing thing, but for me, it wasn't coming with a lot of balance and stability. Um, but the second thing is, I'm very self aware. Um, I think it's an important trait for leaders to be. None of us are perfect, I'm super flawed. You're super, we're all super flawed, and, and the, the folks who are not self aware never end up optimizing themselves. And when I looked at my skill set and my competencies, the one big gap that I had coming from the nicotine tobacco industry is they are very sort of commercially centric, meaning a lot of the marketing vehicles, a lot of the marketing mix, it's not available for all the right reasons, right? To not attract age groups and things like that. And so if I was going to go back to corporate America, it was important that I worked for a company that was brand led so that when I do whatever I'm going to do, whether it's running my own business, running a publicly traded business, wherever my career path may land, I really wanted to understand the right way to market brands. And and you would put Red Bull in that top handful of brands that is brand led, not commercial led. And so I was super fortunate to land there. And, um, it's been an awesome ride. I mean, I I think I've only been here five years. I've had three different roles, three varied experiences. And then yes, I'm I'm fortunate now where, you know, they're, they're trusting me with the keys to a $5 billion business, uh, running sales, distribution, analytics, all these areas where I, I think, I'm now at a point in my career where I was ready for this and I'm surrounded by great people, but yeah, the the whole brand experience at Red Bull, like it's, it's what attracted me and it's why I stayed too. Like it's, it's just an amazing company and brand.
1: So I want to dig into that too, because in the briefing notes I had, you know, there are a couple of things and your point of view of marketing when you and I talked at a a different time, I'd love for you to expand on some of the lessons you've learned about marketing. For example, marketing to occasions, that's something that's sort of high on your list. Um, Also, even you've referenced it already in this call about the unique marketing mix that you've had to call upon to to be successful in the different roles you've had. So, So dig into that for us, please.
0: Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think when I entered, my view of marketing was very different than where it is today, right? I, I think when we think of marketing, classical marketing, we think of, you know, the five P's, we think of advertising, we think of all these things. Um, but really what those are is they're vehicles, right? They're, they're, they're ways to get to a consumer or to an end user. The, the real key to marketing is um, to help consumers understand the why, right? The, the idea that you can just, uh, I think you and I were having a conversation in your office not long ago of, of how I live in Los Angeles and how we could make Miami more relevant to, to um, the California high school population. And, and it's not about getting a billboard and putting up Miami. It's figuring out your proposition, right? And so for a company like Red Bull, whose primary business is a beverage, right? Um, the why behind a consumer purchase is an occasion, right? Meaning in what environment and in what need state would a consumer use the product, right? And so for me, it's about expanding our occasion. So when I went to Miami, uh, which was far too long ago, uh, we were just seeing the onset of energy drinks. And most of the usage, the consumption was in the social and party occasion, right? Um, I would venture to guess that now if you go to the library there, you're seeing a lot of cans sitting on desks as, as everyone studies. That's an occasion, the study occasion energy drinks and Red Bull have become relevant in the study occasion. And so the way in which you apply your marketing isn't about making people aware of your product. Sure, that's a portion of it. But it's giving them a reason to clearly understand in a very simple fashion, when they should use your product and why. And so yeah, so occasions marketing to me, it's applicable to everything. It's applicable to what is the proposition of Miami to, to folks who live in LA, right? What is the benefit to them? Why do they want to do it? And that's how you then deploy the marketing mix. Um, and I think the marketing mix at Red Bull is super unique. Uh, this has nothing to do with me and everything to do with our founder and how this brand was built. But, um, you know, it's less about above the line advertising, things like billboards and commercials. And of course, there's, there's a, a time and a place for it, but much more about how you really curate those occasions. And so you have things like massive uh, consumer sampling programs or events, or we're fortunate enough to have um, brand managers on Miami's campus who are students who are brand advocates and, and in charge of building the brand's equity and consumption on campus. And so, yeah, there's all these other sort of below the line investments that 95% of companies don't make in meaningful ways. And, you know, maybe it's not replicatable to every business, but the way Red Bull's done it is so unique. And and when I started this long winded story of my journey, I said it was all about learning. And and I think being able to learn from such a unique brand and company um, has, it's just, it's a, it's a pleasure
1: that's great some really good insights for our students who are listening so before we move on to the trip down memory lane which is coming up as our next segment I have one more question about your journey because in addition to, the, to, to the, what you've done around sales and marketing now leading uh, Red Bull in America you've also got a real estate business and it's not just a portfolio of property but also some very interesting investments into technology that supports uh, the real estate industry so can you talk a little bit about that too please
0: yeah, I um, obviously when you look at at my history, there's a there's a clear entrepreneurial bug that exists, and I think everyone finds their own way. And for me, my curiosity into different forms and fashions of business, but also my desire to have an entrepreneurial bug and the stability of that corporate America provides. I think a lot of people would look at that combination and say, you have to make choices. I think what I've been fortunate to find in real estate is a way not to make those choices, right? It, it's, um, it's an industry that when you really build the right infrastructure um, can run, nothing is purely passive, that's not possible, um, but it's as close to passive as I'm gonna get. And so a, a close friend and business partner, And I began at a young age um, buying rental properties, very simple proposition, not a complex business model. Um, But we we found a really nice niche of buying two to four unit buildings, making it really about the math and not emotions, like it doesn't cost you or I any money to to lay down an offer. Um, And so we were very disciplined and we built that portfolio out um, to now having properties across five different states. and um, it's been really fun. One, it keeps my relationship with Mike, my good friend. Like I talk to him every day. Now I have a rotation of, of five people in my life. I talk to every day, my wife, my kids, my mom, and now Mike. Um, and two, we've just found it really fun. And then as the, as the income got to certain levels, our curiosity further expanded and we began um, investing into... Um, something we understood really well, which was real estate, but on the technology side. So we began investing, um, seed capital, um, to various technology companies across the U S within the real estate. Cause we want to invest in things we understand well. Um, and, and we also think it's an industry that's very ripe for disruption, um, I mean, there's a common thread here of all the areas. I'm not a technology folks. I, I've listened to the prior uh, podcast. There's far better folks to, to talk about technology than I, but I can't identify patterns. And, you know, when you look at another one of our Miami lums being uh, a key uh, cog in, in Uber, well, it was very obvious from the outset that um, the uh, cab industry Was ripe for disruption, right? It was. It was working off of archaic business models, and real estate's the same way. I mean, we bought a property last week in Alabama, uh, and I had to take a quarter of a day off and sign fifty thousand documents that I'm still not sure what is on them, right? Uh, I'm paying all these different people for different parts of the equation a lot more money they're making than they're actually providing value. Like I love our real estate agent down there. He's a wonderful person. Um, We picked the property. I just can't buy it myself. Right. And so I think it's an industry where when you see a lot of inefficiencies and archaic things, it will get disrupted. Now, whether we're making the right bets or not, we, time will tell, we think we are. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been another sort of extension in, of our a real estate business that is super fun and we're super passionate. And I don't think we're great value adds to the places we invest. Um, but uh, we do think we're finding the right patterns and making fun investments. And, and it's also a nice way for me to coach people on the experience. I don't add value to their technological inputs, but I can help them on the, the startup journey having went through it myself. That's
1: a really interesting story. So now it's time to go for a trip down memory lane. So I'm going to ask you a whole bunch of questions about your time here at Miami back in 2004. So when you look back at your time at Miami, who was your favorite professor and why?
0: Um, I don't know that I have a favorite professor. Like, no, no one jumps to mind. I do have favorite classes. Um, I, I think the classes that I really enjoyed and now it makes sense now that I'm self-evaluating myself. But I really enjoyed all the ones that were like broadening, right? Like we, 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 we get a career path in our head, probably wrongly so, because very few of us actually follow that exact career path. Um, we get a, a specialty or a major, right? And we kind of have things honed in on there. But I really enjoyed all the broadening things. Like I enjoyed horseback riding when I had to drop calculus my freshman year. I enjoyed the, entre- which is a whole separate story. Uh, I enjoyed uh, the economics. I enjoyed the entrepreneurship program was really sort of in its infancy. And it was awesome because I, I just found a lot of uh, passion and enjoyment for the areas that felt so new to me. Right. And, and I think all of those professors and things were, were really influential in me sort of unearthing the passion to learn different things more than than have a defined career path.
1: I think there'll be some students listening to this who will think that it's a good thing that you could pick up horse riding and not do calculus. I was terrible at it. I was
0: terrible at it. I, I came from Detroit and I was in a class with, uh, yeah, I didn't show well, but it was fun. I had a lot of A for effort. <laughs>
1: that, that's what we'd like to hear. So perhaps I've already got the answers to this question, but what subject did you least enjoy?
0: No, I actually really liked calculus. It was that, that it was 8 a.m. five days a week. Uh, and uh, to this day, I'm a terrible morning person. And that was that was proved out. Um, I, I can't think of anything I really didn't enjoy. Like I've always liked I've always liked studying, uh, which is odd. I mean, I still do it now. I take free classes on Harvard business review and everything. Um, I can't think of anything, honestly, that I I didn't, uh, enjoy. I'm sure there's days I didn't enjoy, but it wasn't because of the class.
1: What co-curricular activities were you involved in? Um,
0: I was part of a fraternity theta chi. Um, I actually got to drive by for the first time in 10 years when I was on campus a, a few weeks ago, which was really special. It looks the same for all of you theta chis out there. Great job, not cleaning it up. Um, uh, I was involved at the time. Um, I was one of the folks who launched, I'm not sure if it's still standing, uh, the human resource, um, uh, group, um, student group at the time. Um, I think those were the, the two major ones. Um, yeah, that, that was about, I didn't do a lot of extracurricular stuff. Um, outside of the social stuff. Mm.
1: So you've already seen that eight o'clock in the morning was not your favorite time of the day for class. But what was your favorite time for class?
0: I'm I'm good noon and on. And that's still to this day. I mean, I have two young children. I got a one and a half and a five-year-old. And my five-year-old wakes up every morning at 6 a.m. on a good day, ready to party. And he and I have a good ritual of walking to Starbucks together in the morning before I can talk uh, just not a morning person. So, so to this day, like I book all my, I'm opposite of everything a book would tell you to do. Uh, I book all my important meetings from like noon, noon on, because for whatever reason, this mind doesn't work early. My wife can attest when she listens to this, she's going to be nodding her head.
1: But it comes back to a point you made at least yourself aware.
0: (laughs) Yes, that's exactly (laughs) Right. right.
1: So what was your favorite night of the week while at Miami?
0: I mean, every night was good. I will say not a night of the week. I keep changing questions. Classic, uh, sales guy here. Uh, my favorite days were the last 40 days on campus. Um, I got, I think at the end you get like, for, for those seniors of you listening, you get super emotional at the end. It's fine. It's normal. It's like a closing of a chapter. And I had two really good friends. Um uh, uh jeff and kyle where we agreed the last 40 days we would go out every night not like partying not tearing it up but like go get a beer play photo hunt and like reflect and and just chat on what this journey was like for us um and it was super cool like it it was just such a nice sort of capstone to it so every day of the week for the last 40 long-winded answer yeah it's great though
1: and and just sitting down and reflecting it just brings the memories back and and crystallizes them and helps you hold on to them too I think did you intern at all while you're at Miami
0: yeah I think I interned multiple years uh I I think the most the, the one that was most valuable was it was actually an unpaid internship um but but being from Detroit I got to do some stuff with General Motors that was really unique it was working in there like what they call General Motors University program. Um, But it was all about sort of training and developing their varied workforce. Um, And it was really cool. I mean, it was a long summer. I I worked, I started at 6 a.m. and I'd work till I think like two and it was unpaid. And then I'd go wait tables all night to actually make money in the summer. Um, But that was a great experience. I do think the internship stuff is really, really, really helpful. Uh, it, It sort of just speeds up you're onboarding to whenever you land, wherever you're going to land. It doesn't have to be a pipeline into a company. Um, I think sometimes people choose that as if they're going to pick your career choice. You don't have to pick your career choice. It's about getting development at an early age. And, and, and then that way, when you enter whatever field you're going to enter, you're, you're not doing it with such a stark transition, you know,
1: I'm glad that you raised it for the students who are listening. We, you know, we're pulling data apart, and we know that students who have two internships earn more than students who have one yes. and earn more than students who don't, and not everybody 100%. ends up placing in the place of interns. So I'm glad that you've raised that as well. So you mentioned um, about being in a fraternity, but in your first year, what, freshman, what dorm did you live in? Do you remember?
0: I was that? in Stanton.
1: And do you remember the room and the floor and all those fun things?
0: Second floor, don't know the room number. Closest to the stairs, I can picture it in my head. Um, And it was great. It was great. It was so, I think, looking back on it, it's actually a really good proxy for what we're all going to experience in life. Like, from a diversity and inclusion perspective, it's just such a beautiful thing. Like, you don't pick who you're surrounded by, you get thrown in with a, a group of people who have common goals, but come from varied backgrounds and experiences and all this stuff and of course I'm not expecting i'm sure my freshman year i was blind to it all but i think you learn a lot of good and healthy social skills uh, Mm -hmm. and eq like there was there's a lot of empathy that 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 goes into that experience because everybody's scared everybody's everybody doesn't know nobody feels like they fit in yet and so you get this sort of common bond with the people in your hall, like it was, it, it's a very cool thing. I'd pay, I'd give up a lot of money to go back. I, I'd, <laughs> I'd like to do it.
1: And the friendships, that you get formed, are lifelong friendships. So we hear that all the time from our alumni. So, so looking at buildings on campus, what is your favorite building on campus? Not Laptown, We'll come to it in a minute. Um,
0: gosh, I have so many good memories. At, at, you know, I have a very, I have a very odd choice. Uh, I really like the library uh, I think when you're on a college campus, there is so much going on at any time. You're, you're never by yourself. Um, and I think finding, despite me being on a podcast and having some fake fancy title, like I'm a huge introvert. Uh, I really like. I find it very healthy for me to be alone with my thoughts to process and figure out what's going on and all the rest. And so, um, like I never studied in my dorm room or never studied in, uh, the, well, I'm not so sure if theta chi is the same way. Studying's not very conducive. The library is, is, uh, shells of a library, but, uh, I would always go there to kind of find peace and find quiet. And I always used to like, as long as I wasn't hung over, walking through those doors, uh, I always felt like a sense of, of calm. Uh, and even walking by it a few weeks ago kind of gave me that sense.
1: What about your favorite spot in Uptown? What where was there?
0: Oh, it changed by the year. I think, uh, let's see, freshman year was Upstairs Stadium, RIP. Sophomore year was first run in Brick Street, uh, I think they're the same place. I think it's Brick Street now. Fun fact: my wife was a bartender at Brick Street. Uh, Forty-five East. Also, rest in peace. And then senior year was CJs. Like I increasingly got like less classy as my career went on uh, at, at at Miami.
1: Good, good to know. And have you when you came back just the other week? Did you go back to any of these places?
0: Oh yeah, all mm. of them. Mm. Yeah, I, I felt uh, I, me and my wife were on like a speed dating tour. It was great. We went to Steinkellers and CJ's and we, uh, went to Brick Street. We drove by all of our old houses, took pictures, uh, felt very old. Uh, yeah, it was wonderful. It was wonderful.
1: So I know that Natalie, your lovely wife, you, you and Natalie are Miami mergers, but do tell us the story of how you met.
0: Yeah. Um, Natalie graduated from Miami the same year I did. We actually had the same major, uh, no recollection of each other in college. Uh, uh, and, but we had a lot of mutual friends. So I think four or five years after, after college, um, we met through mutual Miami friends, which I think speaks to your earlier comment of how these relationships stand the test of time. Um, and super lucky because she's amazing. Uh, but also I'm super lucky that we didn't meet in college. Uh, so uh, I think we, we, we met each other at the perfect time of our life for a Miami merger. God bless all my friends who were dating in college and then got married uh, uh, my maturity levels. Natalie would not have been impressed with me, so it was much better to meet her five years after the fact.
1: Very good. So is there any class that you wish you'd taken when you're at Miami? Is there something with a regret you would have liked to have learned?
0: Not a regret, but I got introduced when I was on campus a few weeks ago to the gaming program, which didn't, which did not exist when I was there. And what you all have built is amazing. Uh, So, yes, I would like to still come back. Uh, I'm 40 now. I'd like to come back at like 42 and take the class. That's that's the one that I would like to take. I will. Everyone on campus will let just run circles around me, but I'd still like to take it. Yeah.
1: There's a a great program. So moving to the last segment of our show, it's about time to give advice to students. So I like to separate this into two groups. What advice would you give incoming first year students about their entry point into the farmer school? And secondly, what advice would you give to students or graduates, I should say, who've been out for just a couple of years who are in the, the beginning of their career?
0: Um, I think my advice to incoming students would be, I know it's hard, but try to focus on the right outcomes. Um, When I went to Miami, I thought that the outcomes that I was seeking was grades. um, And that, you know, my ability to get good grades and do well, and obtain good internships was what was necessary to be successful um, at work or in life or in the personal. It's not, it's not true. Um, it, it's about discovery. It's about figuring out what you're passionate about. But then more than anything, it's about building skills. Okay, I interview 10 people a week for different things. And I've got to a place where I don't even look anymore about where they went to school or what their GPA was. And I'm not saying that grades aren't important. They are, but it's because you're building the skills of habits. You're building the skills of this. And like what you need to do is build skills and competencies to be successful, both socially, as well as, um, professionally. Right. And, and, and I think if I were to have done that, I would have been way more curious and I would have been much more focused on retaining information and experiencing things. And when I learned something, trying to put it into practice, and I'm sure it's very difficult for students to do, but I, I think if somebody would have sat me down at the beginning and really walked me through what the actual outcomes were, I, I think I would have used my time differently and I got what I needed from it. Don't get me wrong. But it was more by accident than by design.
1: That's great advice. And what about the advice for those who have just been out for a couple of years?
0: Don't worry about your career path. Just don't. I I think um, a lot of your career path is out of your control. And I think what what a lot of people do is they pick exactly what they want to do and they pick exactly the path that it's going to go. Um, And the people that do that tend not to be the people that win. Um, And what you should actually do is just crush whatever your job is. Don't be a self-promoter. Take care of the people around you. Be a great teammate. Be constantly learning. Because I promise you, the people that are leading organizations, or if you wanna go start your own company, providing you the capital to do so, they're really smart and they see through it all. And the people that always win are the best people in the end. It's not politics, it's not raising your hand, it's not being a self promoter, it's not having the perfect career path. Just do a great job and be open to doing something different around every turn. And don't try to script things out. Just get experiences, have fun, be a winner, and your career path will be fine. Like, I I think, again, I can assure you I'm not a big deal. But I, I think the last four jobs I've gotten, I've never raised my hand for. Someone's tapped my shoulder. And that's because I don't worry about myself. I don't worry about myself at home. I don't worry about myself at work. You just take care of the people around you. You have a great time. You, you produce results and everything else ends up happening.
1: What fantastic advice for anyone who's listening. So thank you so much. So as we close, Mark, I wanna thank you for your gift of time and for allowing us to record this podcast. One of the things that makes my job really easy as Dean of this tremendous school called the Farmer School of Business is just how engaged our alumni are and how willing they are to continue to find ways to support the school, its students, our faculty, our staff and other alumni. So thank you, Mark, and go well as you continue in your journey beyond High Street.
0: Thank you so much, good to see you. Everyone in Miami, you are so lucky to be there. I wanna go back.